It is 5pm. I'm in Liverpool and I'm joined by two people who I'm lucky enough to call one my friend and one I've met for the first time today. Um, in front of me is Owen Gallagher, chef, nutritionist, weight cut expert, currently working with Darren Till, known for getting Darren Till on point and on weight, which can't be easy. Hello, Owen. Hi, Leila. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Thank you. And also we're joined by Dylan Evans, a man who's already won the biggest fight of his life. An incredible story that you have. Um, awesome to meet you, Dylan. Likewise, Leila. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. So the first thing I want to do is ask you both, um, we'll start with you, Owen, to tell us, tell us who you are and how you got here in as quickly and as simple a way as you can. I'll try my best. So officially, you know, I am the, the Shevsky, as they call me up here. Shevsky. And I am a weight cut specialist. Um, I'm just, I feel like I'm at a very early stage in my career. You know, I kind of jumped right into the middle of the madness with, uh, you know, being able to work with Till. But I embrace it all. I've learned so much in the last year or so, and I'll continue to, you know, just embrace the chaos and, uh, you know, continue to perfect my craft. But I'm just loving every moment. I wake up every day and I'm like, I'm really in Liverpool right now. That's the, the River Mercy. Like what? I'm just really loving my life and I'm just so thrilled to be here. Dylan. You've been sort of bubbling in the media. I know you've done a lot <laughs> of work a with uk. A few people know your name, but don't know that much about you. Tell us about you. So, um, as you've already mentioned, my name's Dylan Evans. Uh, I was born in Stevenage, Hertfordshire, uh, 23 years old. Um, started mixed martial arts when I was about 16. Um, I had my first amateur fight in 2016, and then... Dedicated my entire life to it, really, to go professional, uh, make a run with it, the dream, become a professional, world-famous fighter. One of the hardest blokes on the planet, that's the plan. But uh, 2018, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a rare blood cancer. Um, so I had to do six months of chemotherapy. Uh, did quite a bit of training during it. And like you mentioned, Joe.co.uk, they approached me and asked me if I wanted to share my story. So I did some video diaries, a little video series called Fight of Your Life. That kind of um, snowballed, really. Uh, got to meet Darren out in Vegas, got flown out by Gymshark and the guys at Joe to meet Darren, and now here I am in Liverpool training with them every day. <laughs> On the other side of it all, and, and now clear. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so yeah, that, that, that would have helped, wouldn't it? Yeah, just mentioning <laughs> that bit. <laughs> so yeah, I um, was given the all clear in the middle of last year. I finished my chemotherapy on August 10th, 2018, so just shy of seven months out now. Congratulations. Thank you very much. So, Owen, you are knee-deep in fight camp right now, preparing Darren Till for his uh, March 16th fight against Masvidal. Um, with any fighter in this job, what's the sort of, what are you doing each day? Well, I feel the biggest part of my job is to just be as invisible as possible to anticipate the needs of the individual and, you know, fill in the gaps. You know, I think that fighters have enough to worry about leading up to a fight in terms of having to do media, you know, obviously their training, personal commitments, etc. So my job is to, you know, alleviate the stresses that can potentially come with a weight cut. So my job right now is to make sure that Till is completely focused on, you know, the task ahead. You know, he's spoken in length about the fact that, you know, last time around the weight cut was something that was very, you know, very, very in the front of his mind. It was our first time working together. You know, he didn't know who I was. But, you know, this time around, we've gotten to know each other a bit. He knows that, you know, I, I can get him there, that he'll get there in the best shape possible. 
and that, you know, he can just focus on putting a hole through Masvidal's head on March 16th. Now, how on earth did you even get into this? Because it's not it's not a standard nutritionist course, is it? No, of course not. So I had my own business that I was running out of my apartment at the time. I was doing like healthy meal preps for, you know, a few different people that were interested. A lot of like jujitsu athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I got approached by um, George Lockhart in June of 2018 to take his weight cutting course in Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, I went out and did that. And it was just such an incredible experience. You know, I'd been to fights before. I'd been around fighters. But to be around fighters in such an intimate setting was just so, just mind-blowing. I got to help out with uh, Paul Felder's weight cut for his fight with Mike Perry. Mm -hmm. And just like, oh, like, I'm in a hotel room with Paul Felder and he's about to cut three more pounds because he's, you know, it's the morning of weigh-ins and all that. I just, I couldn't make sense of it all. It was just such an incredible opportunity. And uh, I actually met Darren out in Vegas. He was like a featured fighter. They had brought him out there. And, uh, you know, I got to meet him just at a fan event. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just went to went to go. You know, I was a fan of his for a while. I really, you know, associated with his mentality and his no-holds-bars way of living his life. And, uh, you know, we met. We chatted for a while. He was just about silly stuff. It was the day, like, England played Sweden in the World Cup, so we were just chatting about that. Football, great way to bond Yeah, of course. People. Always. It's funny because uh, I was trying to be optimistic. I was like, no, you guys are going to be all right. And he was like, no, we always bottle it. So he ended up being right in the end. Yeah. But um, before I went there, I was kind of like, maybe you should ask him about the weight coding stuff. But I just, you know, he's on holiday. I didn't feel it was appropriate, so I didn't end up doing it. But as soon as I left, I was like, man, like, he's so cool. Like, you got to do this. So I went on his Instagram. There was an email address there. I sent an email to uh, Colin Heeran, his head coach. Yeah. And Colin actually got back to me within about 12 hours. Amazing. And, you know, that kind of got the ball rolling. And uh, here they we are They knew they needed help with weight cutting. Yeah. And I think that wasn't a surprise for anyone. They needed some help there. Yeah, just, you know, just a little bit. Um, How do you tell a fighter, right, generally a fairly aggressive, violently minded man, that they can't eat something when they want to? Well, you don't want to get to that point. You know, you want the food that you're providing to be, you know, sufficient enough to, you know, that, you know, that it is healthy, but it's good enough that they don't mind eating it. And they're not thinking about, you know, going to Mackey's or whatever. Smart. Uh, So you avoid it. That's clever. You just, you know, that's a worst case scenario where you're, you know, trying to slap the the burger out of their hands like the video <laughs> yeah. but your food to be fair mate I mean it does look and smell amazing it does so. yeah poor Dylan has been you know largely oh, teased yeah we've wafting past my bed <laughs> but how, how mathematical is it as well it's incredibly mathematical you know I have you know a system I use that's based on you know f- you know I, I don't want to get into like the crazy science of it but it you know it is very structured and you know, it has a very, very, you know, mathematical structure, but then I have a very uh, creative role in the process, you know, in terms of like what, you know, food items I decide to use, the pre- presentation of the food, the flavoring, etc. Also, everyone's different. Everyone has things they like and things they don't like. And obviously with a weight cut, we're talking about a massive amount of water and dehydration towards the end as well. Is there a formula or is it different to every person? A formula for the weight cut? Yes. At the end? Yes, Yes, of course. There is, uh, you know, we anticipate how much the athlete will be depleted. Mm -hmm. 
so that, you know, when the cut is over and they make the weight, that we can properly replenish that, you know, because a lot of people, you know, speak about the fact that, oh, you know, in fights, like recently with TJ Dillashaw, there was a lot of skepticism around the fact that, you know, he got dropped so quick mm. that a lot of people were like, oh, was he properly rehydrated and stuff like that. But, you know, we have a formula where we calculate how much will be depleted in the athlete. And then we have a method where we, you know, slowly reintroduce the nutrients that were lost during the weight cut process so that the athlete um, is fully rehydrated come fight night. When we talk about the weight cuts, you can't ignore this. Loads of stuff online, loads of images, even videos. We've seen, I think Paddy Power put out a load of videos of Darren Tills having a gruesome weight cut. I know that was before you worked with him. Um, you want that cleared up. Um, uh, he talks about blindness, going blind whilst running. People have had all sorts of different health problems. How do you avoid that? Well, not to like plug myself or any of my colleagues, but, you know, please just, you know, if you are an athlete out there who is cutting weight, and, you know, a significant amount, definitely get in contact with someone who is, uh, you know, who has... professional. Yeah, please just get in contact with a professional just for advice even. But, you know, make sure you're talking to the right people as well. There are a lot of people out there who, you know, I hear the craziest things. You know, I've been over here in England for a while now and I've been kind of like scoping out the scene, the landscape of, you know, the professionals that work over here. And it's worrying some of the stuff that's out there and the influence that some people have Um you know, so please, like, get in contact with a reputable person. It doesn't have to be me. It can be done safely. It can be done safely, but, you know, I still want to largely encourage people to, you know, if they're thinking about going down a weight class and there's already a large struggle come fight week, it's just, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I, in most cases, I don't think so. So, you know, just focus on improving your technique, improving other things, you know, it's not worth spending eight to 10 weeks just thinking about, oh my gosh, am I going to lose mm. this amount of weight over time, even with a professional involved? So, you know, a few weeks ago, we were supposed to see Robert Whitaker versus Kelvin Gastelum at middleweight. Both of those guys used to fight at welterweight. So that's a trend I would like to see continue. Good to hear. Now, tell me how you met the man sitting next to you today. Well, uh, I met Dylan at, in Vegas at the aforementioned trip that he got to make out. He got to come to camp with us and uh, do some training with Till. He, uh, unfortunately, I got to see him, like, you know, beaten within an inch of his life by Terry Adam. <laughs> Terry didn't hold yeah, back was, at that, all. That was quite stressful. <laughs> yeah, it was, but... I loved every I just want to say this for the public record. Like, people don't know how good Terry Adam is. Yeah. Like, this guy is incredible. Just such an underrated guy. Um just an incredible guy to learn from and just see, you know, Absolutely, the level that yeah. he's still at, you know, years after his professional career has ended. Yeah. But yeah, so Dylan got to come out for us for a little bit. Unfortunately, we didn't get, get to really interact because I was running around like a madman. Feeding fighters? Yes, of course. But we've stayed in contact and... Um, and you'll be working together. Yes, of course. So, yes. you know, I'll do his weight cut for his upcoming fight um whenever that is <laughs> whenever that is <laughs> i see the sheepish grin whenever that yeah, is yeah, whenever um that is. i think uh, the impression is that you are coming back to the octagon yeah absolutely um essentially you're looking to make pro you've had a massive setback in yeah, your yeah, health course, obviously yeah. I, 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 see uh, some people may look at it as a setback but i think it's uh, probably pro propelled me forward tell me why uh, just in terms of mentality 
And of course, people that I've met along the way now, I mean, I wouldn't be able to stand in front of Darren and train with him, wrestle him, spar him every week if it wasn't for what I'd been through and how I dealt with it. I love that you're taking me straight into exactly what I wanted to talk to you about. And I was going <laughs> to I was going to do one of those interviewer <laughs> things where you start to slowly warm someone up uh, to it, but boom, straight in there. Straight in, straight there. in there. Gratefulness <clears throat> is something I spotted in you. You said um it was a line that really just stopped me. You said you were grateful that you'd gotten the cancer at 23 and not at 55. Yeah, definitely, absolutely. Explain that to me. Um well, I think in terms of uh on a physical aspect of it, it would have made a massive difference if I was older, my body wouldn't have been able to deal with yeah. The type of treatment that I had to go through, because because I was young and fit and healthy. Well, prior to the cancer, healthy, they hit me pretty hard with like a really intense um, course of chemotherapy, and I think it would have been like a, a more drawn out process if I was older and wasn't as sorry like fit and healthy as I was. So they kind of just grabbed me and pumped me full of poison, and then cool, off you go, back onto back back onto what you're doing before kind of thing. That's that's like the, the gist of my experience with the, the NHS. <laughs> yeah. You managed to train throughout that, didn't Yeah, you? yeah, I did um, a minimum of two sessions a week. I was hitting pads, like, twice a week. It must have been... It must have slowed you down. Like, it uh, must yeah, have felt a difference. Like, um, before I was ill, I mean, I, I could have... When you're in, you're, there's a difference between being fighting fit and just being, like, ticking over fit, but um, it, the tick over, I could do probably five, five two-minute rounds and I was absolutely blowing out my ass. like... To the apt beyond exhaustion, where I was like nearly throwing up, but it's well, I think it was it's one of the things that kept me going and kept me moving through it. So, having gotten through it all and even getting through the frustration of seeing your body not get stronger when yeah, you're yeah. wanting to train and be stronger, that's what I originally thought was going to happen. I thought I'd be able to, oh, cool. So, if I train now, when I finish my chemo, it's not going to be as bad, mm. but because I was getting like dosed up again every two weeks it was just gradually getting worse and worse and worse and to, like carry on trying to push forward when I was just forever being knocked back it was probably like the hardest part of it how well now having come through that and continuing you still want to get back in the oxygen yeah definitely yes. you want to it's be a pro fighter year, well, I don't know, yeah. why it's just just a drive that I've got inside of me it burns deep um when I, when I was first diagnosed and I knew that I was going to do chemo, I thought, oh, that's, that's fighting done. I don't want to fight anymore. Mm. Like, after I win this fight, I'm never going to fight again. That's, that was my that was my genuine attitude towards yeah. it. I was like, I'm completely done with this battle. That I've I've always put myself in kind of conflictual situations, not necessarily in like a physical argument or going out and getting in street fights and that, but I feel like I, I grow under pressure and it's where I feel most comfortable. It's when I'm fully submerged in what's going on around me and not having to worry about... Was there a moment where that spark came back then when you were like, no, I didn't Yeah, I think when I... Because at first, the chemo made me really, really ill. Like, I couldn't get out of bed. Um, thanks to cannabis oil, um, that really did help with the recovery from the chemo. And I think it was probably about a month into my chemotherapy, I went to the gym and just went on a treadmill and uh, bumped into one of my coaches and he was like, come on, man, let's we'll get some pads, let's do some pads if you, whenever you fill up for it. Um, big shout out to Anthony Ferguson, definitely there, because he really did... Pull me, but pull me back into the gym and make sure that I was there and help help me with that. But um, it was like a switch. I think I just kind of woke up and was like, I can't roll over. I just got to keep pushing. So with your weight cut, is there how what's what do you walk around at? Because you're welterweight, right? Yeah, so you're going to yeah, be fighting quite, at 170 yeah. pounds. What do you walk around at? Uh, at the moment, I'm about 87 kilos. Okay. Yeah, so quite close. Not yeah, so fairly close. Yeah. I do mean, you? 
I guess it's a fairly personal question. I can cut it out if you want me to. But um, would you have to take any more meds? Do you continue no, on No, no, I'm completely no. free of meds now. The only How meds nice. I take are the ones that I take myself, like through cannabis or yeah. stuff like that. So when it comes to his weight cut, are there anything, is there anything different? Like the water cut is, I mean, I'll try and negate that as much as possible and yeah. try and get as close as, because that obviously damages your immune system. Mm. And uh, my immune system's pretty screwed. Yeah. For the time being, anyway. It's back up to probably about 90%, but there's no point... Put him, I don't, don't really want to put my body under too much stress mm-hmm. if I don't have to. So, so with you coming back to the Octagon, surely there was some having you know gone through the fear of almost losing you and worrying about your whole life, you know, and thinking. Um, of course, there must have been moments where they thought, "Oh crap!" Your family, your friends. Was there someone who was really wanting to uh, dissuade you from going back into the Octagon? Nah, not at all. They've all been. They understand. Awesome. It's a part of me, and it like my girlfriend. She's been. Just so supportive. Um, I'm up in Liverpool most of the time now, training with these absolute savages, and uh, but they all just understand it's it's part of the process. It's it's who I am. It's without it, um, I really probably would be in quite a dark place. Yeah, that's really awesome. That everyone around you is just yeah. I mean, the same they get it. I think, uh, but again, it's it's who you have around you as well. Do you have any fears going back in the octagon? Nah. None. <laughs> no. <laughs> and even like I think, of he's... course, there's nat- the natural fear, I suppose, like of performing in all front of all these people, yeah. like maybe a bit of stage fright. But I just can't wait to get in there and have fun. And you, I think it was in one of your Joe.co.uk clips. You mentioned um, two weeks after your last chemo session, you went over to Vegas yeah. and trained with some absolute monsters. Yeah. Um, when you went over there literally two weeks after chemo which is yeah. really really close still yeah there, there was a lot of like oh can we actually send him yeah like, everyone, I was going to say like, were there worries about a lot of, lot of medical that? insurance and a lot of people were like of course insurance because I didn't have an immune system so mm. um, well, the chemotherapy I had it really basically the cancer I had is to do with your white blood cells so yes. they just start killing your white blood cells so I didn't actually have any in my body and that's the first line of defence against infection so I was having to take these injections to like give him a bit of a boost and I couldn't yeah. take him on the plane and stuff like that so and the, obviously all the air oxygen is just re-pumped back in so they were like oh are you can actually survive a flight a 10 hour flight wow and I was like I don't care <laughs> get, I'm me going. On that, get me on that fucking plane yeah oh, I'm not missing out on this opportunity and so when you were out there and when you go in to spar with people like Terry Etam, like uh, Till and Colin's team I, I believe you're at Cowboy now training yeah, yeah, there as yeah, well yeah. Were they? Were you? Were you scared to get hit? Thinking I'm out. Of, I'm. You know, you're getting used to I your body wait to again. Put gloves back on, really. Really. Yeah. And it was just like I can't believe I'm in the UFC Performance Institute with the most amazing place I've visited. Like, I was just too. stood there, and I remember like because me and Darren had spoken a little bit online, and he was like, oh, "You're a massive inspiration. I'm going to follow your journey." And then all of a sudden, Jim Shark, like, yeah, we'll, we'll, with Jim Shark and Jai working together, and they're like, "Yeah, we'll send them out there." And I was just like, "What?" And were they wary about how yeah. they were with you? Yeah. Yeah. I think they're a bit like, oh, what's, what's, he, what's he actually going to be doing? Yeah. And I'm like, well, whatever they're doing. <laughs> just treat it as Yeah, not. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Is that a big part of how you've managed to get through yeah, all of this? Yeah, just get on with it. Yeah. Treat just it. get on just with it. Just act like it's not even a thing. Were there any, was there anything you put in place, you know, in, in a hospital or at home or that you implement to help? Anything you put in place to implement your mindset and help you be more positive and keep going? Um... I don't know, I think it was probably just being at the lowest point in my life, mm. like mentally. Mm. Uh, the shock, because I thought I was fit and healthy. I'd fought in October. I'd felt, I remember feeling a bit strange, like dizzy and that when I was warming up and I was like a bit, 
I said, this is a bit weird. I thought it was just because I was cutting weight, but then obviously a few a few months later I get diagnosed. Mm. But I was ready to crack on with 2018. This is another year of fighting. I'm going to go pro at the end of this year. And then I was just like hit with this massive slap, like yeah. big massive brick wall in front of me. And that had like a psychological toll on me and really did like send me into to a really dark place. But to like I just managed to build myself back up from it. And How? That, that I don't, I, to be honest, it's like... It's hard. To, I don't really know, but it's just the drive to not let this be Wait. the end of me. And it was like bad stuff's happened to me before, but I've always managed to come out the other side of it. So I knew I was going to come out the other side of it. So I was like, well, I'm going to make the best out of a bad situation. Do you think, knowing that you've beaten cancer, that you've survived the darkest thing you could have, now helps you be stronger in a fight? Definitely. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, because. I'm not really worried about what anyone's going to bring to me because it's the worst, like some of the worst things that could have happened to someone's already Already happened. have, so, right? Because worst case, I'm going to get tapped out, could get knocked out, whatever. I don't care. As long as I'm in there doing what I love doing, that's all that matters and that's what keeps me going. What... You mention um, people who you're inspired by telling you that you inspire them. How does that make that you feel? That blew me away. Feel? Yeah. That absolutely blew me away. I remember I was in... Like this was a few, I think it may have been a month or so after um, Till lost to Woodley. Yeah. All of a sudden he just puts this. Like we hadn't spoken. He just puts this big paragraph up about how inspiring I am, and I was just like, "What the fuck?" Mm. And that itself motivated me so much because I was again like, I think after chemo, like after I finished my treatment, and it was kind of everything had come to like a quiet lull. Nothing was going on. It was like. Kind of a calm off, like it was like a battlefield. Everything, like, the fight had stopped. Yeah. But I was kind of sat there, like, well, what do I do now? Yeah. So I was kind of again in like a strange psychological place, and then like he put that up, and it was just like all perfect timing, and that just was just like the kick up the ass that I needed again. So it's just weird how like we can kind of bounce off each other, but when he put that up, honestly, it blew, blew me away. Like to, to be told by someone that you've looked up to for so long that you actually inspire them, I was like. You're wrong. <laughs> I was going to say, have you had enough time to understand it? Uh, I kind of just understand it by getting on with it, I suppose. Mm. But to understand why they feel so inspired by you? Um, no, why people want to really. talk to you? Why no, we want you on our podcast? Because I'm just doing, like, just doing me kind of thing and yeah. just kind of cracking on with it. There's no fakery here. It's, just, it's impossible to fake. So I've just people tell me these things and I'm like, mm, okay, thanks so much. But it's just, just, just like an alien feeling yeah. to have people say stuff like that. Oh, and you have a personal reason to be inspired by Dylan and to want to work with him as well, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. So I recently lost a uh, brother to cancer myself, actually. Um, so, you know, this is just something that, you know, there's already enough of a reason to want to get behind Dylan just on what, you know, everything he's just said. But, you know, I kind of, not from a first-person perspective, but, you know, I've, I've been in those hospital rooms and I've, you know, I've seen the gloom and doom and I've seen the, you know, it's, it's, it's very hard not to let it take you mentally, to not let it break you. And, uh, you know, Dylan hasn't let that happen, you know, so... You know, my, my brother uh, taught me so much in the two years that, you know, he battled cancer. And uh, I'm just so motivated every day in my life to grow, to learn, to take advantage of the opportunities I have. And, you know, to meet people like Dylan who, 
you know, have been through these sort of things, you know, in the future, I definitely want to, you know, spend some time in, uh, you know, in children's hospitals, you know, with patients. And uh, I'm just I'm just so incredibly grateful that, um, you know, I have the opportunity to work with Dylan and, uh, you know, to carry my brother's legacy on. Absolutely. It's a really beautiful thing that you're doing. And it's amazing how things line up to be able to help other people as well. And that you guys met. It falls into place. Yeah, absolutely. Owen, you have um, some really interesting takes on how to get through shit, how to get through really dark shit. Um, We've sat and talked for over two, three hours about these sort of things and might not have that kind of time now. But one of the things I find really interesting is your idea of reading and uh, looking at and preparing yourself with worse things. Tell me about that. Yeah, so a lot of people aren't, you know, in the time that we live in, people you know, the cliche is like people live in bubbles. They aren't really, you know, they create their environment. They, you know, they live in their heads. They look at their phones. They don't expose themselves to a lot of reality. I don't think that a lot of people are too in touch with the world around them. I've, you know, at times I kind of feel that myself. I'm like, you know, you need to go put your phone down and just go outside and just be a part of the world and look at people and just see life and experience life and just be a human, you know? And uh, so one of the things that, you know, I've done over the last few years is, you know, just from hearing various people kind of mention it is I've, you know, exposed myself to, you know, incredibly, you know, dark and twisted, you know, times in history, individuals, situations, this is via the internet, I guess. Yeah, of course, podcasts, books, etc. You know, people don't understand how, you know, how dark you can... And this is kind of what I was alluding to earlier, you know, being in hospitals and, you know, seeing, you know, someone you love die and suffer. It's very easy to become twisted and warped and resentful and, you know, want, you know, just be absolutely bitter and as a result not do anything with yourself and just kind of wallow in it yeah but what's the good in that what's the point you know if if someone you're you you know you love or anyone at all is going through you know that sort of thing you know you have to you have to realize that there's a call to action there there's you, you can get such a level of perspective by, you know, seeing someone deal with a situation that they have no control over Mm -hmm. that, you know, you're here complaining about, oh, I have to get up early. I have to go for my run. I have to do this. I have to do that. You get to choose that. You know, there are so many people out there who are faced with circumstances that are completely out of their control and they battle on despite that, you know, so you literally would watch videos of terrifying things? No, 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 no. Like, I don't want people to think I'm like a crazy person. So No, no, I mean, but it's, it's intelligent almost to, to expose yourself to something in preparation for what could come. So, like, specifically, um, two sources that I'll give are um, the Jocko podcast by Jocko Willink. Jocko yeah. Willink is a retired Navy SEAL. And I just, I love his his uh his gritty approach to things it may not suit everyone 
but he has this incredible podcast where he largely goes through, you know, basically every single episode is he, he takes a book that's on a person, on an event that's happened in history, and he will read sections of the book and then him and his co-host will give commentary on it and what they feel you know, what you can get out of it, you know, from, you know, years ago, I remember his episode on Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And then things, you know, that's, that's a, that's a great book. I recommend everyone read it. It's tiny, so you can get through it real quick. But also events like, you know, the My Lai Massacre in Vietnam and the Rape of Nanking. Uh, I believe that was it was either during the Second World War or right before it, when J- Japan occupied large portions of China and then like Japanese human experiments during the Second World War, when you voluntarily expose yourself to, you know, the level of darkness that the human mind can can get to over time, you know, because you never just start off like that. It's a gradual process. When you see how far down people yeah. can go, you can then realize the opposite is possible, that you can also go all the way to the top and that you can, you know, despite the, you know, the darkness and the suffering in life that you can be a voice for reason, for positivity, for, you know, bearing your, your, you know, your human limitations with dignity and trying to bring, you know, you know, I don't know, like, I just try to inspire people and just try to like people don't know how good they have it, and that sounds very cliche. No, it makes sense. I guess is it a form of rationalizing? Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, I just bought the book uh, "Demons" by Fedor Dostoevsky, and uh, the plot of that book is it's it's a commentary on nihilism, essentially. Mm. And uh, you know, it's it's incredible that he recognized that nearly two hundred years ago in Russia. That you know, this was going to be a very, uh, a very serious problem that humanity was going to have to face as religious systems and other types of belief systems collapsed, you know, towards the end of the nineteenth century. So that book's a commentary on nihilism and like, you know, the pending problem that it was going to be for a large part of humanity. So a lot of people today, you know, live these fake lives on their phones and. You know, they just go through you the motion. You get caught up thinking it's the end of the world when people don't have followers that they wanted or mm. likes that they wanted. Yeah. And it's like, we do need to be reminded that the world is a real place sometimes. Some people, yeah, of course. Things aren't in perspective for most people. Either. Yeah. I mean, it, literally talking about perspective and being able to rationalise things. Did you find that you did that to yourself in a way when you were at your darkest point? Was that a way of saying, essentially looking at the positives and going, it's worth gearing up and fighting for that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Thinking that it could it could always be worse, I think is uh, that's a, a talent to be able to really took a bit of ingraining because I mean I've had uh, I've been depressed before and I thought it was the end of the world <clears throat> because because I haven't got money to buy something I want I, I wanted to buy you know what I mean and then yeah. obviously this happens and it really does put into perspective how stupid that is. Has um, it changed you? Absolutely, yeah, hundred um, percent. I'm a completely different person to who I was. Uh, 18 months ago a completely different person what what did you learn um i guess a, material things was that the first thing to yeah of course window? yeah i mean that yeah. that came with it um i just stopped caring really about i used to really 
worry about designer t-shirts and all that stuff and I'd go without having money for something else just to buy a nice t-shirt and stuff like that that evaporated pretty quickly it was yeah. like right well that shit really doesn't matter like that was the first the first layer of, of everything that you get through when you're when like you're really faced with something like that it was like that forget about that yeah especially because I knew I was going to lose my hair and my eyebrows so you got to forget about it. Got, yeah, no, but got, that's super good advice for kids out there and everyone. Because, yeah, you, you know, we get caught up in stuff. Forget about it. It really, really doesn't matter. And worrying about what people think about you is another thing. Mm. It's the things that you experience. Um, I and it's to, not easy. Nah, it's not easy to not. forget definitely what people not. are thinking about us. Definitely not. It's just like one of the, it's like ingra- so ingrained in us to worry about what people think about us. Yeah. And to be worrying about impressing the next guy or whatnot. But things like that um like the materialistic side of it that i can't explain how quickly that just disappeared out of my out of my vision kind of thing mm. it, it's uh, just uh, like a lens that just did, was taken off my eyes that, oh, that completely doesn't matter anymore i didn't even think about it because i had such a different uh mm, different things to think about i yeah, suppose would be course. the best way of putting it <clears throat> i guess that's quite a relief as well now yeah definitely yeah. Is life easier not worrying about yeah, that shit yeah big time I'm just worrying about this big battle that i've got in front of me um, I've really started appreciating the weather because we had a really good summer last year. Yeah. That was probably one of the best summers I remember and I was really ill for it, obviously. I couldn't go out in the sun. I remember watching your clips and you take detours. Yeah, yeah. I used to just go on bike rides. Oh, that's what, that, another thing, that's what got me back in the gym was me and, my, <laughs> me and my best mate used to go on bike rides for like ages and ages and ages. And he'd be like, Dylan, we need to turn around now. Like, you... you, you you like we're we're twenty miles away from home. Like we need to turn around because you could, if you get ill we're screwed. Yeah. And I remember once being like, nah, come on man, we can keep going because like, riding a mountain bike's hard work, uphills, yeah. a bit of interval training stuff like that. It was getting me moving. And I remember <laughs> feeling so ill on the way back. I was like, oh my god, I was shaking like riding my bike home like absolutely yeah. like shaking, having like a uh, like a, it was like a weird like. They're like infections that you pick up during chemotherapy because your immune system's so battered and you can yeah. pick them up from literally anything. And I'd pushed myself to that point. And uh, but again, that was another experience that I think I needed to go through. To learn? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, it just puts things into perspective. Um, I guess the nurses were probably putting their hair out with you yeah, because, time, yeah, 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 as a fighter, naturally you're going to push yourself further yeah, and you're bit, not going to listen to They liked me in the end. I was a bit like, I had a bit of a character because I was the youngest person in the chemo ward. Um, they yeah. asked me if I wanted to do it uh, in Cambridge with um, adolescents, like other adolescents, because I was like uh, 23 years old. They were like, do you want to do it with teenagers? Yeah. And I was like, no. No, don't want to travel. Not, like, I don't don't yeah, have that what to I mean? me. I yeah. have it on my doorstep. But I was the youngest person in the chemo ward. I had, I had a joke with them. And I tried I tried have, like making my attitude towards it infectious to everyone else. Because, I mean, you're sat, in, you're sat in bays with seven other people they're all going through the same shit and some of them just look so depressed and that's just that's just blown my mind actually so even in there with yourself in a you know a pretty awful state in a poor yeah, position pretty... your mind was trying to make other people feel better well, yeah of course it's just but even not even by consciously doing anything but just by act, just by being who I am not sitting there sulking yeah having a laugh having a laugh with the nurses um, I mean they used to have to like I used to get prodded with about eight different needles before I could even have my chemo just because they were looking for veins and stuff like that. But I'd make As a joke about weaker, it. Like, yeah. like, like a toy treasure hunt. <laughs> treasure hunting, like looking for a vein and it stabbed me all over the place. 
and like there would be like 65 70 year old women that would just like just look over and just chuckle and stuff like that was well, that always your personality before uh, yeah, a bit think? of a cheeky chappy i suppose yeah, yeah. I, like, I, like, I like being able to make people smile it makes it makes me happy being able to make other people happy with you both having gone through what you have been through, do you think we have a bit more and more of a victim nation? Like, absolutely, everyone's absolutely one hundred percent. Tell me about that. Why everyone thinks? I mean, I don't mean it, don't mean it in a nasty way or like to sound condescending or anything like that. But everyone thinks that the world's against them, and it really isn't. Bad shit is going to happen to you, regardless of who you are. Things are going to seem more tragic than what they might to someone else to you because it's an individual experience. But I just think whatever it is, um, you just got to grab it and just run with it. Like like I have, I mean, I've literally made the best out of a bad situation. It sounds like a really ludicrous thing to say to me, but I think cancer is probably the best thing that ever happened to me because of how it changed me as a person. Uh, I allowed it. I mean, there were some things that I were out of my control, of course, but what was in my control was my mindset. Well, the mindset to say that yeah. is such a powerful thing. The mindset to see something as terrible as cancer and say that's the, the best thing that happened to me. Yeah. And here I am. I mean, that's such I, a powerful place to be. I think it. I, f I think um, I could have grown to hate it, but going back to what Ohm was saying, you, it, it twists you, and it changes it changes your perspective on the world, and it turns you bitter. And I just that's what I wasn't going to let happen. Would I be right if I said you embraced it? Absolutely. Yeah, I just had to kind of. Just jump, jump straight into it. You don't have a choice. Like you, they're like right. You haven't. You fully submerged straight away. Yeah. But again, like I wasn't drowning. I was like I had my head above water the whole time, and I was just kind of plod, like just getting it done. Owen, would you agree about the um, sort of victim nation that we're all quite quick to feel like a victim? Absolutely, and you know it's unfortunately a problem that I think only grows as modern conveniences, uh, quote, improve, you know, in terms of, you know, the availability of technology and, you know, you know, even like things like Amazon, you know, you, in, Amer here in New York, you can, there's a lot of stuff you can order. We're fucking spoiled. Yeah, Basically, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a nice way. That's a very, get upset very, get very good way to day. put it. Exactly. <laughs> You know, I'm I'm here trying to be more sophisticated about it, but that's the truth, <laughs> Sorry, you know. We're no, fucking no. spoiled. <laughs> I'm just yeah. taking this podcast <laughs> down a notch. Sorry. You know, the the truth is, you know, most people are soft. And as someone who is very ambitious and has a lot of things planned, it's great because less competition. But, you know, for people out there who are on the fence and are you know, they want to make a change in their life, you know, you have to do stuff that makes you uncomfortable it's very cliche mm -hmm. and you know people th think uh posting on social media about how they're so motivated is uncomfortable you need to do physical things you need to <laughs> get out there you need to just go run you need to join an mma gym you need to do something physical because get punched in the face every now and then yeah. <laughs> um, do you know what that's such a good point like being physical and putting yourself in a position that's uncomfortable is something that we're in a we're in a lazy state and we're spoiled not always by our own fault. Look at the society, right? Amazon deliveries of food to your door. You need you can be a hermit and live in a good life now. Mm. Um, Instagram. You yourself said you fell to it because you were buying all you know taking money aside Absolutely, to buy yeah. things that weren't that important. Um, how do you make sure you don't fall into this when everything around you is built to spoil you? You need to be conscious of it. You need to be aware that it's there. 
Um, I think social media is probably going to be the end of the world <laughs> because of just how it's changed everything. Absolutely, it's so anti-social. Absolutely, right? yeah, it's ridiculous. But I mean, we all use it. Um, I'm on it. Um, I use it a lot. But so it's again, about I, putting your phone down. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But not even just that. Just experience. Just real life experiences. You know, this is something that I've put a lot of thought, and I think we've spoken before. Like, people aren't aware of like what the next integration of social media is. You know, I believe that you know the next level is the integration of things like you know augmented reality and artificial reality and you know people will get to put on a headset or a pair of glasses or even contact lenses and totally escape their reality and be in control of you know what happens to them and what they experience and all of that and I'll tell you one thing people won't be putting themselves in hard situations they're gonna pursue what's easy they're gonna you know, transport themselves to Hawaii and stay there forever and just live on the beach and no, all of that. That doesn't sound too bad. Nah, I'm not <laughs> I'll go, go to Hawaii, yeah. <laughs> you no, know, I mean, like, but I mean, <laughs> no, but obviously I leisure yeah, is important, no, course, but yeah. anything in excess <clears throat> is bad. And I think that, you know, people need to, you know, integrate, you know, be a part of the world around them, the circumstances that they've been born into that they have no control over and realize that, you know, you might have not, you might have been born here. You might have not had this in your life and you might have had to deal with this, but you can still make something out of it. And you have a talent and you, there's something that, you know, you, you really love behind closed doors when no one, you know, when people aren't watching there's something that you really enjoy and it's time in 2019 to like actually do that thing because all that matters is, you know, being happy at the end of the day. Something you both mentioned a few times now is about not doing the easy route, not doing the easy thing. Um, yet almost all day, every day, what we search for is the shortest path, the tightest line, the easy way. Do you think maybe you're a fighter because... It's fucking tough. I think so. Yeah. I like I wasn't even a fan of MMA before I stepped into the gym. Yeah. I was sat in an office working a nine to five that I hated. And I was like What did you do? What was your job? I was a foreign exchange broker. Wow. Yeah. Foreign um, exchange broker? Yeah, yeah. What so. trading students? <laughs> What's that? Trading currency. Oh, um, obviously. <laughs> Sorry. As soon as you said foreign exchange, I was thinking yeah, of when I went to France like as a school kid. Yeah, like human trafficking. I was like, a foreign exchange? That's when I went to France and she what? came here. And Oh, f f like yeah, money. So oh. Yeah, FX broker. That's a probably money. a pretty good job. Yeah, it weren't bad. I mean, what? You were probably making good money and you probably sacrificed that. Not for my that. age. I mean, I left school, went straight into an accountancy apprenticeship, got my qualifications. Um, wow. Was all geared up to spend... The next fifty years sat behind a desk, and then but it didn't suit me. As but a you person. chose MMA before you got sick, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So years. your mind was already on the I want to turn my life yeah, around. Yeah, I can't situation. do this. Yeah, it was part of like I'm not being a sheep. What drew you into MMA? How hard it looked. Yeah. And then I went down and got beaten the shit out of white wrestler, and was like. And then you thought, yeah, I'll do this yeah, again. Well, this is this is. Well, at first, I didn't take it seriously at first, but something just changed. It's like a oh my god, look look at this like. I can actually do this. I can make a life out of this. Gosh. And I can not have to sit behind a desk for eight hours. I can put my work in 
I can do something that I really enjoy, which is fighting, and I can get paid for it. I don't know whether to thank you or be really annoyed because this podcast, like I keep doing these as a, a personal selfish journey to learn and do better. <laughs> and the overriding thing to learn here is that I should be putting myself in uncomfortable situations. Do you want to come to Cowboy? <laughs> I like Cowboy. Can you imagine? Imagine th- this guy, just, just for some context, this guy drives four hours two ways every week to, you know, be a, uh, you know, a big cannon fodder for Darren Till, yeah. Tom Aspinall. We have this big guy. The thing about Mindy. being a six foot three welterweight is that you get paired up with Darren Till all the time. Yeah, yeah of course. Of <laughs> yeah, course. So, like, it's great for me. Damn, right now he's got to be breaking people yeah, yeah. left, right, and centre. Yeah, it's yeah. Great. And, and, it's great. and you're saying it's great. for my confidence because I'm not worried about anyone that yeah, I'm going to face ever. Exactly. I've beaten cancer and I've been punched in the face by Darren Till. <laughs> <laughs> and people really don't know how hard the training is at Cowbomb, oh, you know, no, because we're not, one of, we're not one of these gyms that have a great social media presence and, oh, here's training footage and all this stuff. You know, Colin's very selective about who gets to come in. And, there is um, an underlying message. People know, though. People are scared of Cowbomb. Oh, absolutely. They know it's violent I'm, in there. Honestly, it's like, you just, you get there, you get it done, but while you're there, you're there. And, it's, and that's it's how you so, want to learn, yeah, right? I've never experienced training like it. You talk about Dylan traveling four hours and going out of his way to put himself in an uncomfortable situation and grow from it. And you yourself, you've come from New York, you know, not long ago, you know, some big family issues and difficult times. You're young still, and you've not stopped. You've put yourself in uncomfortable, difficult situations. Liverpool, you've never even been there, or you'd been there once or something, and living away from home, living away from family, all that sort of stuff. Is that purposeful? Yeah, of course. And what I would do is I would bring you back all the way to the start of this. You know, I was always confident I could get to on weight the first time. You know, when I sent him that email in July, sorry, Colin here in that email in July, I knew I could do it. I'd watched the footage. I'd heard what happened. I'd seen what happened, you know, and I knew that it was just a minor mishap and not an end of the world. Oh, you have to go up and wait situation. I knew that. And uh, I think that you know, I put up a post recently and I said, confidence like this can't be faked. And, you know, Till took me aside one day and he said, hey, like that made a difference for me. Like you reminded me that, you know, you got to just show up and graft as we say, you know, I, you know, I, I do post a lot on social media, but I promise you for every one thing I'm saying online, there's 10 things I'm doing. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, uh, this guy I really like called Gary V says, uh, what is it? Micro speed, macro patience. Like you do a lot of work, but you have a, you do a lot of work in the short term, but you have long-term patience about, you know, what, what you're doing and, you know, where you want to go and things like that. But, you know, I'm contradicting myself. I jumped right into a UFC title fight, <laughs> the most high profile weight cut in recent time. And, you know, yeah, but the opportunity was there, and you you seized okay. it, and you made the best. Like, do you know what I mean? You took, you grabbed it, and you, you ran with it. And yeah, it I mean, and again, what I just said is like, I was confident. I was confident in my own abilities. I was confident in the people I had around me. You know, I just want to give credit to the amazing people that you know did little things for me behind the scenes and just made sure I was on track and stuff like that. But that's the one thing I would tell people is do what I did. Do something crazy. Like just, just oh, I'm going to do that and just do it. Like don't talk about it. Don't post about it online. Just do it. 
put yourself in a situation where you don't know what's going to happen and you're going to learn so much. You might fail, you might get embarrassed, but you're going to grow as a person. I mean, Gallagher, you've got a big event coming up March 16th where you've got a gorilla that you've got to get on weight. So best of luck, not that you need it. I've got a gorilla and a bald man from Wigan who of course. is making his yeah. <laughs> UFC debut. Um, Mr. Grundy. Mike Grundy, the hardest working man in the gym. I just wanted to give him a quick shout out. How uh, awesome is it that we're getting him on UFC? It's so awesome and it's well overdue. Yes. He is elite. He deserves to be there. He shows up early. He stays late. He puts in the work. He's going to run through Ned Naramani on March 16th. Oh, good luck. Thank you so much. Thank Dylan, you. also a fight coming up. We don't know where. We don't know when. We, well, we hear that it's going to yeah, be... some whispers, isn't there? Yeah. Some pretty, pretty top promotions. Yeah, some top promotions. One, one of the top promotions in Europe, at least. Anyway, yeah, we look forward to I hearing that news break and watching you on that. Guys, thank you so, so much. I guess for the listeners, the words are gear up, fight. Absolutely. And put yourself out of your comfort zone. Thank you very much. Thanks, Leila.